As the years have gone by, there have been times when I look back in my journal at previous entries where I've expressed a desire to be better at this or not be like that, and the thought comes that not much has changed, that I'm still stuck in the same cycles. The present day me has made no progress on the me of yesteryear and that I'm failing at life. Is there anyone else willing to be vulnerable tonight and admit that you guys sometimes think your life is a failure too? It's it's a rough spot, but I believe in these moments of weakness and brokenness. These times are where God is inviting us to hold on to hope and to wait on His promises. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. The world was at war, and his city was under attack. These were turbulent times. In this man's short life, he'd already seen four kings sit on the throne. And now it seemed as though his world was falling apart. The fourth king had opted to surrender. Honestly, probably it was the wiser choice. But now everything this teenager knew was taken from him. Actually, it would be more accurate to say that He was taken from everything he ever knew, taken into exile. His new home was to be over 600 miles east in Babylon. For as long as he could remember, Daniel had been learning about the promise of a savior, one who would sit on on David's throne. But now it seemed as though that royal line was finished. Would anyone ever sit on that throne again? What about the promise? Tonight, are you wondering where uh, God is in your life? Have you been expecting Him to show up in the big things, struggling to see Him in the little things, praying but not getting any answers? Are you beginning to doubt the path that He is leading you on? Are you confused about life's purpose? My name is Carl Lindsay. I'm uh, excited tonight to examine the life of Daniel with you and what it looks like to be waiting on the promise. Last week, Ariana uh, explored the story of Job with us and how even though his world was falling apart, he was still able to fall towards God in worship. And I think she laid the foundation beautifully for what we're going to talk about tonight. I believe Daniel experienced these same struggles And there's a lot that we can learn from his life. Let's pray. Father God, give us wisdom tonight. Give me clarity of thought and tongue. And may you guide us with the Holy Spirit in this place. Um, Give us ears, open our ears, Lord, that we may hear. And teach us, God, to wait on you. Amen. The name Babylon harkens back to the days following Noah's flood 
or the flood that only Noah and his uh, family survived. And his descendants uh, decided to construct a tower and a city to make a name for themselves. God saw their pride and put a stop to it, confusing their languages, and thus they called the city Babel, or Babylon, which literally means confusion. Hundreds of years later, Nebuchadnezzar is reviving this city of confusion in an attempt to make a name for himself. And historians today believe that Babylon at that time was soon to become the largest city in the world. Something that fascinates me about Babylonian captivity is that they weren't actually taken as slaves like the Hebrews were in Egypt. Instead, they were brought to the rising empire's capital city to contribute to society and to the economy of this growing metropolis. They were to build homes, to start families, and do business. Because there was no way for Nebuchadnezzar to build such a great city without bringing in all people from his conquered lands to help the city's economy. And so the results of this meant that Babylon became a cultural melting pot. With every new culture came new traditions, new religions, and new gods. The history of confusion lived on. And biblically speaking, Babylon becomes a symbolic idea that is much, much larger than the biggest city of the ancient then known world. Fast forward to just after the time of Jesus with one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle John. He picked up on this theme of confusion in the book of Revelation. And he talks about Babylon extensively as a system of thinking that would be prevalent towards the end of time. In other words, now. In one of the Bible Project videos, the narrators define Babylon as a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Or in other words, Babylon is representative of the system of thinking that has done away with absolute truth and demands that you align yourself with the new truth. We can see this system at work in our world today as the conversations around race, gender, sex and politics have, increasingly, have become increasingly polarizing. Popular culture has taken over the job of defining truth for our society. So as we look at the book of Daniel, we find in the early chapters of his story, we're introduced to this man as a man of integrity. He was given a position of of uh, honor in, to some degree in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, sometime soon, sometime after he arrived in Babylon. He and his friends refuse to let go of their commitment to God, and God honors their decision in that. Uh, we also read that in chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar gets a glimpse of the future through an unusual dream uh, from God, and of a statue of a man made of various metals. God then gave Daniel the interpretation to share with the king to let him know that his great kingdom would not last forever. There was a greater kingdom to come in the future. And he wasn't talking about the Medes and Persians. Daniel chapter 3, 4, and 5, we see how Nebuchadnezzar and subsequently his grandson, Belshazzar, refused to acknowledge God's omniscience and pridefully dishonored, denied, and defied God over and over again. So we could say that by claiming the glory and honor for themselves, 
They were attempting to redefine good and evil. And just like in the story of Babel, God put a stop to their pride and he humbled the kings and ultimately the kingdom in the end by allowing the city to fall into the hands of a new empire. Time was up for Babylon and the Medes and Persians became the new world power. But the spirit of confusion, the spirit of Babylon didn't fall with the city. It continued to dominate the system of thinking. So in the next chapter, when Darius is king, uh, and we see, we continue to see the redefining of truth as the governors suggested to uh, King Darius that he should take away religious freedoms and demand that everyone renounce their own gods in favor of allegiance to and worship of the king as a god. Confusion continued to dominate the culture, but Daniel, being a man of God that he was, and the man of integrity that he was, ignored this declaration. And he was thrown into the lion's den for his crime. You know the story. I want to suggest tonight that we too are living in a culture of exile. In a culture that does not know our God. It's been over 2,500 years since Babylon fell, yet the story is no different today. It's not uncommon to hear about hear about men and women of integrity getting thrown to the metaphorical lion's den by the prevailing popular culture because the Babylonian mindset is still alive and well. This is why it's so important for us today. We are surrounded by people, businesses, governments, churches, and systems of thinking that are redefining truth and demanding our allegiance to a broken narrative. A broken narrative that is in strong opposition to the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has been done away with. Everyone gets to choose their own truth, and just like in the days of the judges, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But those who choose to redefine truth must remember that in so doing, they are dishonoring, denying, and defying God in the process. For the Jews as a nation, this broken narrative was the way they had already chosen. Long before their physical exile, they had renounced their allegiance with God and chosen to live according to the ways of their neighbors. They had chosen to live under the psychological captivity of Satan, in psychological exile, and eventually they were banished from their homeland and taken further into the culture of confusion. And now, finally, they were seeing the fruit of those choices. But just like it is today, it wasn't just those who had denied God who were taken into exile. God's faithful people were caught up in it too. People like Daniel. They were forced to live in a surround, in, live surrounded by a culture that had lost its clarity on truth. And all they could do was hold on to hope and wait on the promise. What was the promise? Well, as a faithful man of God, Daniel was a student of the prophets, and he had probably heard Jeremiah prophesy on the streets of Jerusalem as a kid. Jeremiah had declared that the whole country, the nations, Judah and all the nations around, will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation 
the land of the Babylonians for their guilt and will make it desolate forever. It's Jeremiah 25. So honestly, this exile thing probably didn't come as a surprise to God's people. And I can imagine Daniel being the bright scholar that he was. Once the exile actually started, he was counting down the years until that 70 years is up. They all just kept holding on to hope. But after about 60 years, Daniel had a vision that shook him. In the first and third year of uh, Belshazzar's reign, Daniel received two new visions recorded in chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel. These visions were of various unusual beasts that he was told represented different world powers to come in the future. We don't have time to explore these two visions, but Daniel was alarmed by two things. Number one, the prophecies that he witnessed foretold of these beasts oppressing God's people. And number two, the time frames indicated seemed really, really long. So at the end of the, the second vision, he wrote, I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business, but I was astonished by the vision and no one understood it. He and his friends couldn't figure out the meaning and it left him sick in bed and significantly perplexed. Belshazzar, the king, reigned for about 10 years. And so from the third year until the end of the Babylonian uh, empire, there was still seven years left in the 70. But they hinted at a prolonged persecution and a time frame for deliverance that was centuries longer than what he was imagining. And so in those last few years, I'm sure Daniel worried that God might have changed his mind. But all he could do was hold on to hope and wait on the promise. Last month, I got the chance to go to Ethiopia. It's been a place I've wanted to go for a long time. I first tried Ethiopian food when I was in Kenya as a student missionary. And their food has ranked at the top of my favorite cuisines for over a decade. It's amazing. You've got to try it if you haven't. Um, because my in-country experience lived up to the expectation, so it was, it was amazing. But that's not the story I want to tell you. I, wanted to, I was in the country for 48 hours. Um, I was hoping to visit some people. This was a work trip. I was hoping to visit some people in the remote community, some remote areas, to hear about how God was working in their lives and communities. What I didn't give much thought to was how long it would take to reach those remote areas. We left Addis Ababa 7 o'clock in the morning and we drove all morning through the beautiful countryside. It's a, it's a stunning country. Uh, we stopped for lunch, met some church leaders there, and then we kept driving. The, they joined us because we were going to their territory. And the roads after lunch, they were rough and slow going, and we eventually arrived at our destination at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So that was over seven hours of driving plus our lunch break. And if I had realized that before even booking the flights, I don't think I would have considered the stopover worth it. But I'm so glad I did. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how that story unfolded later. But this is simply, uh, this is obviously a simple illustration. But a show of hands, guys, how many times have you waited for something far longer than anticipated 
but when you receive it, it was 110% worth the waiting. So anyone? Yeah? Maybe it's the ideal job. Maybe it's the dream place to live. Maybe it's the relationship you've been praying for finally becomes a reality. When the answer to our prayer arrives, and it's better than we even dared to hope for, it's a reminder to us that God knows us better than we know ourselves. But oftentimes, we end up a few months later, back in that process of waiting, waiting on the next answer to prayers, and it's easy to slip back into doubting God's plans for our lives. And it's in these times that God is asking us to remember to hold on to hope and to wait on His promises. So eventually, the 70 years of Babylonian exile comes to an end. And after the events outlined in Daniel chapter 5, Babylon is finally overthrown. A new world power arises and Daniel prays, God, can we please go home now? In chapter 9, we're given an invitation to listen in as, into that prayer. This is one of the most beautiful prayers in Scripture. And as he takes on an attitude of corporate repentance, he calls on the name of God for his people in an, a plea for deliverance. I would imagine that he has been waiting for God to answer his questions about timing for seven long years. And I think there's a lesson for us here. When we are waiting on God's timing, when we're doubting or confused, we need to take them to God in prayer. We can't expect immediate answers, but God does promise peace in the midst of uncertainty. We didn't have time to read the whole prayer, but let's read the, the conclusion. He says, now therefore, as he's wrapping up the prayer, he says, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's reminding God, hey God, that temple back there in Jerusalem is currently empty. Let's, let's fill it up again. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. He's reminding God here that it is his reputation that is at stake. His people have been in exile for over seven decades, and God's name has been dragged through the mud and held in disregard throughout that period. But his people during that time have been holding on to hope in the waiting. They were waiting on God to act. They were waiting on God for deliverance. There was nothing they could do on their own about their situation. And it's in that moment that Daniel's prayer is answered. The angel Gabriel arrives to share some good news. He says, O Daniel, I have come now forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. As I said before, there are probably at least 
seven long years of silence between chapter 8 and the vision there and this conversation in chapter 9. Gabriel is saying, I know it's been seven years, Daniel. But before I go any further in helping you understand the vision, I want you to know that you are greatly loved. I don't know what you guys are waiting for tonight or how long you've been waiting. But know this, God has not forgotten you. You are greatly loved. Keep praying. Keep holding on to hope in Him because He will come through. And so then it's like Gabriel said, now that you know you're loved, Gabriel, Daniel, sorry, now that you know you're loved, Daniel, here's what I want you to understand. This is one of those times when the answer was worth the wait. Daniel had been waiting for an answer about getting back to Jerusalem, but instead he got answers about the coming of the long-awaited Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel. Let's see what uh, Gabriel shared. He said, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand. Let's keep going. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. There's some big words there. I'm not going to sit down and explain that all to you. Um, but I do want to show you uh, this idea here. Gabriel has again pulled back the curtain of the future uh, for Daniel in this dual prophecy, allowing him to see what is to come. Back in verse 24, we saw that this is a dual prophecy. Uh, it applies to the people, for your people, and for your holy city. And so the text goes back and forth as to which it applies for. You can see the yellow and the green here indicating which one's the Messiah, which one is the, uh, the, city, the Jerusalem story. And Gabriel is effectively saying here, God has heard your prayer, Daniel. He knows your concern for his city, Jerusalem. But let me tell you about the bigger picture. Jerusalem is just a city, and just like Babylon, it will not last forever. But there is good news. Remember that empty throne you're worried about? Soon there will be a king who will sit on David's throne forever. The Messiah is coming. He will finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. He's saying, just hold on to hope and wait on the promise. For over 3,000 years, God's people have been clinging to a 
promise of a redeemer who would come at an unknown time. And now finally, they had a time frame. Over the last three months in this series, we've looked at nine of those people who are waiting on their redeemer. Tonight is the last one, and I really hope you've been blessed by these Old Testament tales. I know us elders have enjoyed the challenge of figuring out how to present these stories to you. Last week, Ariana explored how Job was able to worship God in the waiting. Before that, as Rika talked about uh, Queen Esther's gambit, Gus explored some of King David's story. Daniel shared how he related to Hannah's story. Sarah spoke about Ruth. David examined the call of Moses with us. And Kelly pulled out meaning out of Joseph's dungeon. Derek highlighted faith over fear in Abraham's life. I don't know which of these stories, if you were here for most of them, which ones you related to the most. But all of these characters were living in a form of exile. They're all suffering the consequences of separation from God, separation from their heavenly home. But despite that, they were all waiting on the promise that was given to Adam and Eve. And passed down through the generations, that promise of reconciliation, the promise of a redeemer. Right at the beginning of this series, Matt walked, Matt walked us through their painful story. In making the first choice to listen to the voice of Satan, Adam and Eve renounced their allegiance to God. They pursued the temptation to make a name for themselves and dishonored, de- denied, and defied God in the process. And for this choice, they were banished. They were exiled from their garden home. But before God left, asked them to leave Eden, He gave them a promise. He gave them hope. And He spoke to the deceiving serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3.15. I don't know how well Adam and Eve understood that in that moment. But it was enough to give them hope. Hope of a future, hope of a redeemer. And they passed this promise on from generation to generation. And from Genesis 4 onwards, the Old Testament tales tell the story of God's people waiting on this promise. The promise that was to be fulfilled in Jesus. So back in Daniel chapter 9, if you study out this time prophecy, you'll see that Jesus showed up right on time. In AD 27, the Messiah appeared on the scene and was anointed by the Holy Spirit at the River Jordan. At this point, Jesus started his public ministry of bringing the kingdom of heaven back to earth. And over the three years of his ministry, we see that promise that was made to Daniel come to pass. Jesus came and finished the transgression made an end of sin, made reconciliation for iniquity, and brought in everlasting righteousness, just as Gabriel had said. A promise made, a promise kept. Jesus came and fought our battles for us. And on the cross of Calvary, He was cut off, but not for Himself. As He hung there dying, He declared, It is finished. Friends, the war has been won. Amen. But you know, 2,000 years on, it can be easy to forget the gospel. 
to forget the good news that God has already won the war. And I wonder if some of the, one of the reasons that it is so easy to forget in our daily lives is it because we haven't been holding on to the hope and waiting on His promises, because we haven't been saturating ourselves in God's Word. God's faithful people were able to hold on to hope through thousands of years with the rise and fall of various empires and regimes by repeating the promise of, to their families every day throughout the generations. And we have to be doing the same thing. Daniel was able to live in hope, to live expectantly because of three key habits he cultivated. First of all, he prayed daily. We see this show up in Daniel chapter 6, uh, before the episode of the lion's den. Number two, he studied the scriptures thoroughly. A, a reading of uh, Daniel chapter 9 and looking through all the cross-references shows that he knew the prophets uh, well. And third, he served humbly. He continued to serve the king with a spirit of humility in his day-to-day -day life. We're still in exile, separated from our heavenly home. The culture all around us has brought us has bought into the broken narrative, and the Babylonian mindset of confusion continues to create a world where the truth is twisted, good and evil are redefined, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But we have to live expectantly in spite of this. We need to pray daily study thoroughly, and serve humbly. Because Babylon will, final, will fall one final time. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying here that life in this exilic environment will become easy if we're doing these three things. That's the whole point of waiting. Waiting is hard. Waiting is all about hoping for something better. To have hope, by definition, is to be waiting on something, but it's how we live in the waiting that makes the difference. So what are you waiting on right now? Are you living expectantly in this season? Right at the beginning, I asked if you were wondering where God is in your life, because I believe Daniel wondered the same thing at times. Maybe you're wondering why you keep making the same mistakes over and over again. As the years have gone by, there have been times when I look back in my journal at previous entries where I've expressed a desire to be better at this or not be like that, and the thought comes that not much has changed, that I'm still stuck in the same cycles. The present day me has made no progress on the me of yesteryear, and that I'm failing at life. Is there anyone else willing to be vulnerable tonight? And admit that you guys sometimes think your life is a failure too. It's, rough, it's a rough spot, but I believe in these moments of weakness and brokenness. These times are where God is inviting us to hold on to hope and to wait on His promises. One of my favorite promises in this vein of thinking is uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is from the message. Philippians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in uh, Philippi and he says... There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. Hallelujah. 
It's promises like these that remind me that God's work isn't always instantaneous. It's a process that takes time to mature in our lives. And just like fruit takes time to grow and ripen, it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. In the times when I'm being hard on myself, I have to remember that God is growing something beautiful, something flourishing in my life. And it's my job to trust the gardener. So back to Ethiopia. We're almost at our destination. Towards the end of the long drive, uh, we only had a few miles left until the village. We were met on the road by eight horses. Can we get some sound, please? Eight horses and eight more guys on just two motorcycles. They proceeded to escort us back to the uh, village and, yeah, prancing their horses and everything. It was amazing. We soon made it to the village and we were met with like hundreds of people waiting for us, cheering and singing. Um, these guys were all there for me. They'd been waiting for over six hours to this point. They're all dressed up in their choir robes. It was a super cool experience, like totally unexpected. I just, it blew me away. Um, they led us through the village to the meeting place and I was, uh, after some speeches, they presented me with a very special gift. They honored me with a new outfit. Here's my, uh, the pants, the shirt. Then this guy put a robe on me. You can see I've got like a, a crown thing happening. And yes, this that was really special. And as I was thinking about this, it hit me that this experience was a tiny foretaste of the second coming. While we're on our journey through life, though it may be slow, we just don't know when we're going to get there. Jesus has promised to come back and escort us home, escort us back to our new home. And when we arrive, I, can't, I can only imagine the celebration that will take place. There will be the biggest choir, the most beautiful singing we've ever heard as we're welcomed into heaven. And when we get there, Jesus is going to place a crown on our head and wrap us in robes of righteousness. I really struggled to uh, figure out how to wrap this message up tonight because I didn't feel like I had a clear place till I could land the plane. But as I was thinking about it, I don't need some profound way to tell you about Jesus. His great love speaks for itself. I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but like Gabriel to Daniel, I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. I stand here tonight to remind you via a brief exploration of Daniel's life that Jesus came right on time to do the work he promised to do, the work of bringing in everlasting righteousness. Can I pick on Leslie tonight? You're getting baptized. Can you come up here, please? Uh, I truly believe that none of you would be here tonight if it weren't for the work that he has already done and is doing in your life. 
because of your belief in the power of the blood of Jesus to redeem your life, you have been given access to the everlasting righteousness that Gabriel promised Daniel. So this is Leslie. You've met her before. I'm going to give you like this outfit right now. We're going to wrap you in robes of righteousness. I don't know how to do this. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go with the flow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. How's this open? There you go. The beauty of Jesus' righteousness is that it impacts our life right now. Leslie's getting baptized tonight. Yes, we're living in exile, but Jesus announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's accessible to us now. And it's not only a distant reality one day in the future. And so that's what this represents tonight, the, re- the righteousness of Jesus, the crown that you'll receive one day in heaven. A few years ago, a few few minutes ago, Leslie was one of the ones uh, who said, yes, occasionally I've thought my life is a failure. But I want you guys each to speak into her life tonight by reading the words on the screen. I want you guys to read it like you really mean it because it's for all of us tonight. And take it in. These are the words of Jesus speaking into your life right now. All right, ready? One, two, three. Three, go. Leslie, you are greatly loved. You are made in the image of God. You are not a failure. God is working in you and will bring this work to completion when he returns. You can have a seat. I'll grab this. I'll get this from you later. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I can take it now. (laughs) Thank you, Leslie. God cannot wait for the day when he gets to place that crown on each of your heads and clothe you in his righteousness as you arrive in heaven. Until then, however, as you struggle day by day in the unknowns of, with the unknowns of the future, I want to encourage you, pray daily and build that relationship with him. Study thoroughly and discover for yourself his promises that you and your family can stand on and serve humbly through all the challenges in this life. And through it all, remember you are beloved. You are made in the image of God. He has started a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. And on that day when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may we then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone and faultless stand before the throne. Again, I don't know what you're holding on to, what you're holding out for, what you're waiting for, but I want to encourage you tonight, hold on, hold on to hope, hold on to Jesus, wait on His promise. He will not let you down. Father God, may our hope be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
And may we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice. <laughs>